Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Live from New York's NASDAQ market site, this is Fast Money, and we have got a big show tonight. Here to guide you through it, Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Dami. We're also joined by Chris Veroni, as head of technical research at Strategis. All right, tonight on Fast, we are tackling three big money head scratchers. Number one, what else? Tesla, the stock that is captivating everybody, surging another 13% today, even after a late day pullback. And in the options market, things are even more crazy. We're going to break down the action, how much money some people may have made. Head scratcher number two, eBay. That stock jumping on late day reports about a takeover offer from the company that owns the New York Stock Exchange. Why, this could be a game changer for you, the retail investor. Which brings us to head scratcher number three, today's rally. Stocks having their best day since August. The Nasdaq, a new record close. So whatever happened to all the fear and loathing around the coronavirus? We're going to get some answers to all three of those and much more, of course, all ahead. But we've got to begin with this. Speaking of threes, the magic number. We've got an earnings triple play. Snap, Ford, and Disney, they are all on the move after reporting their results. And as always, of course, we've got full team coverage for you. Standing by to break down all of these names and the reaction. Let's kick it off with the biggest of them all, and that is Disney. The question is this, did Baby Yoda and streaming rule the quarter what is being said about coronavirus this quarter is coming right now to Julia Borston in L.A. with more on this and also great news for her exclusive interview with Bob Iger. Julia, take it away. That's right, Brian. Disney shares moving higher in after hours trading on better than expected results when it comes to revenue, earnings, and also those all-important streaming subscriber numbers. Disney Plus ended the quarter with 26.5 million paid streaming subscribers and Bob Iger just announced that they added more than 2 million additional paying subscribers since the start of 2020. This despite the fact that the flagship show, The Mandalorian, had come to an end. He did announce that The Mandalorian will be coming back this fall. And he said they were not going to update the company's guidance of having between 60 million and 90 million subscribers by 2024. Take a listen. We were actually heartened by the fact that uh, after the original episodes of The Mandalorian were all made available, uh, we really didn't see significant churn from that. As I said earlier, we continue to see subscriber growth from the end of the year, December 28th, uh, through yesterday. Now, when it, we also asked him, of course, about the impact of coronavirus. Disney has closed Shanghai Disney as well as Hong Kong Disney. Um, CEO saying that the CFO just said that the closure of Shanghai Disney could impact the company's operating income by $135 million in the next quarter, assuming that the park is closed for two months. Take a listen to how um, Iger explained that potential impact. In Shanghai, the business there has been really strong. And it's a shame that we had to shut down. But obviously, this is something that is a big concern to us as well. We have you know, thousands of people that work for us 
in, in that area of the world, and we have concerns for them. We have concerns for the world as well, and the people of China, of course. And we'll talk about it a little bit more in terms of specifics, but it's, it's hard to be very specific without knowing how long this could last. Iger noting that, of course, this does come off significant growth in the parks, the the parks division um, growing its revenue 8 percent and its operating income 9 percent in this past quarter. But Iger was overall um, optimistic that there would not be meaningful impact um, outside of China, though, of course, it is a is an issue that he is and his team is monitoring very closely. Back over to you guys. Yeah, Julia Borson with a big exclusive there and a great interview. As always, Julia, thank you very much. All right, Guy Adami, yes, what do you make of Disney's quarter? Well, the, the sub, the ads, the Disney Plus numbers are ridiculous. I mean, it's astounding. And you're not, I don't think you're going to get a lot of churn with Disney. I think once people are on, they're going to stick, regardless of John DeLorean or Mandalorian, whatever movie that I didn't see is out there now. The real problem with Disney, I think, comes down to, can you get your arms around valuation? That's been the, that's been the knock for while and it's grown into the valuation so 23 and a half times next year's number given the growth rate it's probably not absurd but i also think that it shouldn't trade at such a huge premium some of the competitors i think the viacoms the comcast i think those numbers need to get ratcheted up and i think they will i think if you look at their subs though if you look at apple tv plus there were rumors of apple going ahead of hulu and and disney Disney would have had a knockout, would have had to have a knockout number on subs growth, would have had to have been above the 30 million mark. I think that would have impressed the street more. I'm still looking for multiple expansion going forward. Right now, it's still below its 50-day. I'll let Chris talk to that. I wait to put new money to work if it crosses over the 50-day to the upside. Yeah, but we focus so much on streaming. I get it. It's the sexy thing. It's the new thing. Arpu D2 or whatever you want to call it there. I like that. Guy you should coin but, that. Karen, let's, let's, I just did. Let's forget, Karen, the, the parks are a bigger part of the business than people think. We rarely talk about them. And now you got a couple of parks in China closed for a, a fairly long time for a quarter. Right. I don't know. It was interesting where they came up with that $135 million potential impact. The parks are a tremendous business, but I really think people will look through the coronavirus and really give them a free pass on not only this quarter, but next quarter as well, because I think it'll take a while for uh, people to feel comfortable again. And also for their movie business, I mean, he talked about in that interview, Iger talked in that interview with uh, Julia about uh, some of the films they want to release in China. Mulan was one, but that, you know, people aren't going to the theaters in China right now, so they're going to have to rethink that a little bit. But I think the market will give them a free pass on both of those things. I think the chart has to be owned here. I think we need to remember Mm. Disney spent five years in a 50-point range. It only broke out last April. This is still a new move by our work. Look at that 140 area. It's continued to provide support. Every big move in the stock over the last year has been on big volume. So it's being accumulated. When you get weakness, particularly if you get after hours here, I think you have to step in and support the stock. This is a long-term leader in a good group. Own it. Yeah, and to, to Guy's point, you look here at the holders, Vanguard, State Street, BlackRock, and State Farm They're Insurance. They're not going anywhere. They're not go- th- those are passive holders for the most part. I know it's you and I with these ETFs. 20% of Disney is owned by four relatively passive investment companies. They're not going to sell. Right, but if you want, you don't care about who is not going to sell as much as who is the next buyer. And the next buyer is the growth buyer. That's the one. So that's why, yes, Parks is a $26 billion operation. But people are looking for the growth. The growth comes through streaming, comes through Internet, comes through that process. 
That's where you get multiple expansion, not from parks. But on the growth, though, it doesn't. They're going to be spending, 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 right? So, and Netflix too, spending, spending, spending. I don't know when ultimately mm. you need to make money on that. So far, never. Well, Netflix be, doesn't. Never. The day of as long as you it never works. As long as you put it in, as long as the Amazon I hear, I hear what yes, you're saying yes. about the parks, but let's be clear. How many five ninety nine a month Disney Plus subscriptions are going to make up for a family of four it's going to a How much though. do you spend at Disney World, Hong Kong? Totally or understand. A lot. That's not what a people lot. pay for for growth. It was the same thing with Apple. Apple was a hardware company until it wasn't a hardware company. It's about services, not about hardware. Disney is about streaming, not about parks. Okay, let's talk about streaming right now because I understand that we're going to go back to Julia Borston, who's got some breaking news on Hulu. Julia. Yes, that's right. Um, Disney just announced on the earnings call, which is going on right now, that Hulu will launch in 2021 internationally after Disney Plus is through the bulk of its international launches. So this is a big deal. Hulu has been just focused here in the U.S. Um, it does. Uh, they did start to reveal some growth numbers for Hulu uh, with 30.4 million subscribers in total, um, 27.2 million of those just streaming video on demand. But that is just domestic. This will be a big deal when Hulu launches internationally in 2021. Guys, back over to you. Wow, there we go. Big international launch in 2021. And and speaking of, we'll go back to streaming Steve Grasso over here, Mm -hmm. because there was a school of thought, and it's a little weird, but it's there, which is that the streaming companies may benefit from what's going on because people are confined, in China in particular, to their homes. You're bored. What do you do? We've seen a run-up of Netflix stock. Sign up for new services. Right. We've seen uh, the run-up in the Netflix stock. We've also seen the Chinese Netflix, which is IQ, that busted right through resistance right around $24. All of these things should be bought. Anything China-related should be bought. But you like it. Disney, I I like streaming. Chris Ferron, you like it. We're going to get more on Disney coming up. All right, let's move on now. Oh, we've got some breaking news out of Iowa. Speaking of new numbers... We're getting some numbers, finally, out of last night's Iowa caucus. Kayla Tausche, who was in Iowa, with more. Kayla. Brian, with 62% of uh, data reported, the Iowa Democratic Party now says that Pete Buttigieg, the former South Bend mayor, is currently in the lead as far as state delegate equivalent counts go at this hour. This is only with 62% reporting, but they do say that this 62% of data comes from all 99 counties. Following Mayor Pete uh, is... Senator Bernie Sanders after that, Senator Elizabeth Warren after that, the former Vice President Joe Biden, and after that, Senator Amy Klobuchar. Uh, Certainly a win at a caucus like Iowa would have provided a momentous moment for uh, any of these candidates, but notably specifically for uh, Pete Buttigieg, someone who was a relative unknown just a year ago and would be the first openly gay candidate to win a presidential primary in any state. So that would certainly have been an historic moment if it were uh, a moment that he were able to claim. Now, we often see that when you have a winner announced on a caucus night, if it would have happened last night, you would have seen a massive bump in the polls going forward. With the debacle that's uh, that's developed over the last 24 hours, unclear if you will see that jump in the polls, but certainly notable, historic, momentous uh, to say that Pete Buttigieg is in the lead with 62 percent reporting, although you can bet, Brian, that 
other campaigns will take issue with this data. Senator Bernie yeah. Sanders' campaign uh, overnight said that it had its own data that showed that he was in the lead. Uh, so expect some backlash here. A lot of questions, Kayla. I don't want to put you too much on the spot. I know this is all kind of breaking. First off, do we know when the remaining 38 percent is going to come out? And also, you know, 62 percent. I mean, we don't have companies reporting 62 percent of their quarter on the quarterly numbers. Is there any... People are asking, why 62%? Why now? Why not wait till you know everything before coming out and maybe getting some false hopes up and making other people upset? Well, of course, we have a lot of questions for the Democratic Party here in Iowa that we have not been able to get answered. Some of those very questions that you just outlined, Brian, Uh, perhaps 62 percent felt like it was uh, a rough majority that they felt comfortable going forward with. All of the campaigns have raised issues about the partial release of data. Why not wait until it's done? The Sanders campaign on a call earlier today said that uh, it believed that the Biden campaign was pushing the party to withhold some of the data because it didn't think that it was going to be flattering. So there has been uh, Uh, some behind-the-scenes hand-wringing about who exactly wants this data to come out. The party earlier today said that the full slate of data would be uh, readily available when it is fully verified, whether that's a week from now or a month from now. But clearly they felt like that last 38 percent either was not verifiable at this moment or that they owed it to the public to provide the majority of the information when they had it. And that's why they decided to put this information out now. All right, Kayla Tausche in Iowa. I know it was a long, kind of an odd night there. Buttigieg, by the way, basically claiming victory at around midnight. I watched that. Kayla, thank you very much. Let's trade this. Let's keep this right in the CNBC lane as well. Guy Adami, there was again a school of thought that sort of ABS, anybody but Sanders, might be the more positive outcome for the equity market. Looks pretty good for Buttigieg there. Does it matter to the equity market? Yeah, I mean, I would say, and we were talking before the show, I think a lot, of, a lot of the rally today, not an entire rally, but a lot of the rally was predicated on the fact that there was such a crazy evening in Iowa and there were no clear winners. I mean, I can make an argument that if Bernie had emerged victorious last night, you would have seen a benign to negative day for the broader market. And I, and I can't do the counterfactual thing. I get it. But the fact that it continues to be muddled, I think it's it's positive President Trump. Positive President Trump is positive market. I think what we've got to watch tomorrow is how do these health care stocks that have been so impacted by this, the managed care names, UNH, Humana, how do they trade against this backdrop? We're talking about the pharma stocks as well, which frankly act pretty good. We had J&J break out today. We have Pfizer acting better. I think that's going to be the big story. But when you look at the betting markets, right, the betting markets are a good tell on what the market thinks of these things. It's actually Mike Bloomberg who has shot up in the betting markets over the last 10, 15 minutes here. So the market perceives a mayor. doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on. They won't be a Republican or a Democrat who is more uh, pro-growth, pro-corporations, lower tax rate cut in regulation than Trump. So it's a negative uh, it, to anybody else but Trump even right now, Mike whether you Blo- hate even him Mike or you love, even Mike Bloomberg. You've heard, you've heard how Who how runs a data company that is based on Wall Street's success. By the way, Pete Buttigieg. If Wall Street does not do well, Bloomberg LP does not do well. One, one of Pete Buttigieg's uh, quotes was, we have to stop the ever-expanding arm of big business needs to be stopped to improve our democracy. That doesn't sound hopeful for the six or eight names that have kept this market going forward. Well, I, I think you're probably right in terms of who the market perceives to be the best, can, the best to be in office for the market to do better. But, you know, I think that for me, but Mike Bloomberg, I think, could do a good job negotiating trade with China. I think he's a, you know, the smart business. I know we're not getting into that, but I think there are other candidates that are moderate of Warren Sanders. 
that could be okay for the market. Yeah, I think other sectors too, Chris. And again, we're talking about this from a CNBC perspective. Yeah. You can't ignore the factual, I mean, all yeah. the politics, but you can take it down the CNBC lane. I think you also have to look, and I'm talking my book here a little bit about oil and gas. When you've got some candidates who are talking about pretty much ending fracking or parts of fracking. That sounds bullish oil and gas, right? So I think what's been ironic about the Trump administration is what was going to be viewed as very pro-energy administration, right? Oh, too much supply. Drill, drill, drill. Or not enough demand. I think if you look at a Warren presidency <laughs> or a Sanders presidency where fracking is banned or they try to pass that, that sounds like it's bullish energy. That sounds like it's bullish crude. I think that's the counter. I'm talking specific companies. You say, I'm going to throw it out there, a Devon Energy. Devon Energy, a large mm-hmm. part of their portfolio, is fracking on federal land in New Mexico. If they can't do that, that's a big part of their business that would go away. There's certain well, specific agreed. companies like that. And I know we have to go to break quickly. On a day where the Dow is up 400 points, to your, we had a conversation last night. ExxonMobil closed below $60 today, closed down one and a quarter percent. We've been talking about this for a while. So I don't know what the right entry point is in energy and big cap integrated, but it ain't here in my opinion. Not here yet. A lot, and a lot of people agree with you, Guy Adami. All right, so... There you go. Big A block there. Rounding it out with the Iowa News. Thank you, Kayla Tausche. Coming up, we're going to dive into some of today's other big numbers. You got Snap. You got Ford. They're both moving after hours and not in the way that investors probably want to see. We'll get full team coverage on both of those. And then talk of a deal that is many scratching their heads. Why is the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange reportedly interested in buying eBay? Should Schwab be worried? Well, you'll soon be buying clothes and bikes for the New York Stock Exchange. Mm. And a reminder, check out the CNBC app or watch and listen live anywhere you want to be. We're back right after this with more Fast Money. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome back to Fast Money. The earnings parade really rolling on. You got Ford and Snap. Well, they're both sinking after hours. Kate Rooney is Oliver Snap's earnings call, but let's get started with Phil LeBeau, who's back at HQ on Ford. Phil. Brian, take a look at shares of Ford, down more than 9% after hours. The conference call with analysts has just begun, but this is a company that gave investors a a real one-two punch in terms of the earnings results. The first punch? missing for the fourth quarter, coming in with earnings of $0.12 a share. The estimate was for $0.15 a share. Yeah, revenue is a little bit better than expected, but it's the guidance. This is the second punch to the gut. $0.94 to a buck twenty for 2020. That is what they're expecting to earn. The estimate on the street, earnings of $1.26. As you take a look at shares of Ford since May of 2017, the reason that we're showing this to you is because May of 2017 is when Jim Hackett took over as CEO. And he said, you know what, we're going to turn around this company, a pretty ambitious plan geared more towards mobility in the future and leveraging investments in that area. Guys, it hasn't kicked in yet. And a lot of analysts are likely asking questions on this conference call. When will this turnaround kick in? Because so far, it hasn't. Okay. That's Ford. I also understand there's some breaking news maybe around compensation yep. on Boeing. Right. Phil? 
We're talking about new CEO Dave Calhoun, and as part of his contract when he became CEO, there is a clause in there that he is potentially eligible to get a $7 million bonus if Boeing safely returns the 737 MAX to service. When this came out, there were some in Congress who said, we're not sure that there should be an incentive of $7 million for him and Boeing to get this plane back in the air. Boeing has responded, sending a letter saying it is going to keep that clause in effect. It has, however, initiated and put into effect a number of safety-related clawback measures so that, let's say, if something happens where they get back in service and then there are big issues that develop, they would be able to then potentially claw back some of that $7 million bonus. So, again, Boeing saying to Congress, we are going to keep the $7 million bonus in place for Dave Calhoun if he can safely get the 737 MAX back in service. And again, guys, they're hoping for that to happen by the middle of this year. Clearly, it depends on the FAA and regulators around the world. Yeah, it seems like it'd be more up to the FAA than to Boeing. But, uh, Philibo, there you go. Thank you very much, Philibo. Two pieces of news there on Ford and Boeing. Uh, let's talk, Karen, about Ford. Obviously, this has been a, a tough investment for a lot of people for a long time. What's your take? Uh, I, I don't like it. I mean, you know, Phil talked about it this turnaround isn't really happening. And this was actually, I think, Europe and China did decently. So it was really an operational miss. They called it themselves. I mean, they're, you know, they should be somewhat embarrassed. I, speaking of embarrassment, own GM, have owned it for a long time. I feel like Mary Barra has done a much better job of positioning them correctly. But if you're an auto and you're not Tesla, I mean, you, well, you so couldn't trade it a worse valuation. That, because last night, Dan Nathan's final trade mm-hmm. was GM. And his thesis, although it was quick, it was final trades, was when some of the hot money comes out of Tesla, maybe it'll go into the GMs of the world. Maybe Ford? I wonder if maybe. money's coming out of Ford and going into GM. I don't know if that's say- oh, into GM. That would make more or sense. Ford. That holder would be the same holder. Tesla seems to me to be a, a different holder. We'll see GM I mean, coming out tomorrow. of Tesla into Ford. You don't know. I think... Go ahead. I think great rule of thumb in these bull markets don't own stocks in bear markets, and Ford is still in a bear market. It's going to open below 840. That's a fresh low. Can't own it here. Own Toyota, own Volkswagen. They're better charts. So no, no incentive on the charts. None. No. Zero. None. You know, I don't expect you to watch the show every night, Brian. However, <laughs> for years now, we've been saying if Ford can't do it, get it right in the environment that we find ourselves in with the S&P at an all-time high and arguably the best auto market over the, you know, maybe the last 50 years. When is it going to happen? And if they want to turn something around, they should turn the chart around and maybe it'll look good because it's grim death the way I look at it. And that 740 level from December of 2019 is right in the crosshairs now that you have negative EPS growth. Okay, nothing in the charts. I mean, this Ford was what, a... $18 stock about five years ago. All right, let's move on to Snap. And it's cracked. Down big after hours. That conference call is also underway. Let's get right out of Kate Rooney in San Francisco with more on Snapchat's quarter. Kate. That's right. Hey, Brian. Snapchat's parent company missing on revenue, and analysts telling me that's what's causing the stock correction here. It's come back off the, off the lows, but had been down as much as 14% after Snap's top line revenue came up short. Revenue for the quarter was $2 million below estimates. Average revenue per user also a miss. Snap was $0.04 shy of estimates. But there were some positive numbers for the quarter. Snap beat on the bottom line. Earnings per share came in $0.02 above estimates. And a key milestone to point out here, Q4 was Snap's 
first profitable quarter on an adjusted basis since going public about three years ago. Daily active users, another bright spot and a key metric for social media companies. That was above analyst expectations. Snapchat now has 218 million users, 3 million above what Wall Street was looking for. Expectations were pretty high coming into earnings. The stock had seen more than 170% rally year over year. RBC's Mark Mahaney telling me the stock is starting to come back now thanks to Snap's guidance for Q1, which shows revenue acceleration. But analysts will be asking for more detail on how exactly they plan to achieve that after this quarter's miss. Brian? Kate, help us out here. Why was there such a big jump in DAU's daily active users? Is it all because of that Discover feature? Is it keeping people around? They mentioned that the holidays as well, that a lot of people were Snapchatting friends and family um, over the Christmas holidays and that week in particular. So that's a big part of it. They also mentioned um, advertising. So that also seems to be a bright spot. But they, that is really what analysts seem to look for. So uh, despite the revenue miss, some key metrics that um, folks were pretty happy about. All right, Kate Rooney, Kate, thank you very much. Listen, Snap may be down 12.5% after hours, but if you listen to this man, Snap Steve Grasso, he made a lot of money. He's been long and right on the mm-hmm. stock. Still Does long. this bother you? Would you change? Still no, no, and, and it's you know, when Guy and I were going back and forth when I was doing my chart work, this was a play into earnings. The reason why I got cute and stayed long, it's still, I'm still up 20% in this trade. I was up 12% more than I am right now before this, uh, this stock reported earnings. This was going to be a play into earnings, but I thought that it was unfairly punished with coronavirus. I thought it got lumped into a bunch of the sell side, and I thought I carved out a little bit of a niche where I could make some profit out of this. But if you look at it, don't these stocks work off of daily active users? They beat on that. For me, that's a positive. They were in this trafting phase. They're out of that trafting phase. To miss by $2 million is nothing in this name. I'm going to stay long. I still believe there's a bright future. It's still a growth stock, international growth. I'm staying long. You've been right on the name, Steve. Thank you. All right. There is a lot more that we have done, and there's a lot more coming up on Fast Money. Here's some of what we got on tap. You think Tesla investors made a lot of money this week? That's nothing compared to the gains some options traders may reap. Mike Coe breaks down what's happening in the options market and how you could play the trade. Plus, Disney shares are on the move after earnings. We'll dive deeper into the numbers with media mogul Tom Rogers. We've got that and more when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. 
Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert right now for you on the coronavirus, the death toll jumping again in China. Let's get right now to Frank Holland with more on this developing story. Frank. Brian, this is the latest from Chinese state media. They say an additional 65 people have lost their life in relation to the coronavirus outbreak. That now brings the total on mainland China to an estimated 490,000. Again, these are certainly fluid numbers. That number, an estimate. The global number, approximately 492. Chinese state media say there are additional deaths in the Philippines and Hong Kong. Again, the death toll on mainland China now 490. That is an estimate. 65 additional cases have been reported. Back over to you. All right, Frank. Frank, thank thank you very much. All right, moving on. Um, Yeah, let's talk about this very quickly, guys. Obviously, you want to have these numbers be zero. Mm -hmm. I mean, the reality is you want to have the numbers go down, not up. There was a little optimism, I think, in the last 24 hours. What do you make of those numbers, Guy Adami? It's not not encouraging. I mean, and we can have this debate. I think it continues to get worse. I think other people on the desk continue to think it gets better. I hope I'm wrong. But the market is clearly looking past that, at least for today. So we'll see. You know, it's very hard to handicap something of this magnitude my, for my money, though, I think this, the news get, continues to get worse before The it only way to, to handicap it for me is the mortality rate. So the fatality is still sticking around 2%, 2 to 3%. It's horrific if you're the 2 to 3%, of course. But as long as it stays to that level, the markets will not get overly excited at an extended period sure. of time. And, and we care about everybody, but, but we also care, I think, from an equity market perspective, if it, sta- if it stays subdued here in the United States. I think we have, what, 11 mm-hmm. Cases, obviously, thankfully, a very, very low number. Do we care more about what happens here from an equity market perspective? I think we have to listen to the message of the market here and look at the casinos and the hotels and the airlines. They're going to tell us whether this is getting worse over coming days and coming weeks. I mean, look at the action market today. It was okay. Uh, breath wasn't as robust as I would have liked to see for a 52-point S&P rally. So I think the jury is still out as to whether or not there's more likes of the story. Watch the sensitive stocks. Even watching Apple here, I think Apple, just given the exposure to that part of the world, is going to give you clues as to where we go from here. Okay. Let's move on to another big story in the market, not just today, but this year. Would you believe us if we told you, because we're, we're going to tell you, <laughs> that Tesla is up 200% in the past 12 months? How about 300% in the past six months, or that it's doubled in a month? You probably think that the the crew had maybe hit the bar a little too early before the show, but they didn't, and all that is true. And if you think the stock action is unbelievable, just wait until you hear how some people in the options market have done. Mike, come out in San Francisco to talk about what's going on, and I guess who's going to be buying a new yacht. It's quite extraordinary what we're seeing in Tesla. I mean, almost unprecedented, I would have to say. So it was the most busy single stock option today. Perhaps unsurprisingly, it traded over 1.3 million contracts overall. And that's saying something for a stock that actually was closing in on $1,000 at one point today. Now, last week, we highlighted a trade. Somebody went out and bought 900 of the June 800 strike puts. Those were way calls, excuse me, way out of the money at the time that we highlighted them. They spent $19 a contract for those. Those traded over $250 today. The buyer of those calls made over $20 million in one week. Maybe even more extraordinary, the weekly 900 strike calls. Those were trading for five cents last Friday. They traded for over $100 today. 
That is quite an incredible return when you think about it. The thing is that options prices right now are extraordinarily high. In fact, in the Russell 1000, only penny stocks have higher implied volatilities than Tesla does right now. The 90-day implied volatility for Tesla is 100%. So if you're thinking about using options yourself to make directional bets, it's probably going to be very expensive to do that unless you use spreads. And we, even those can be quite expensive. And some examples I would provide, I was looking at a 1,200 call spread. Uh, that would cost about $40 to make that bet. So that's a bet that it would go up from about 900 bucks, approximately where the stock closed today. Now, if you were making a similar bet that it could decline by a like amount, that would be buying the 800-600 put spread. That would actually cost you $55. So the options market right now seems to be betting that there's a bigger chance that the stock could decline from these really elevated prices that we're seeing here than that it would go up. But I will tell you this. If you're thinking about making your bets in Tesla, it's probably smarter to use options. That way you can manage your risk because we can see this thing can really move around. Stock's up over 100 bucks today. Wow, truly incredible stuff there on the options side as well, Mike. Thank you very much. And for more stuff like that, check out Options Action. That show every Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, on deck. What may be the most bizarre potential deal in a long time? You'll you'll never guess Mm. who may be making a bid for eBay. And later on, there's a new secondary market emerging in cannabis. And it's maybe not for what you might think. Jane Wells is here, and she has got the story from Chicago when Fast Money returns. Well, we don't say this lightly, but this is an interesting story. Check out eBay surging after the Wall Street Journal reporting that it received a takeover offer from the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange, the ICE, Intercontinental Exchange. It kind of got everybody and us scratching our heads. Mm. All right, Steve Grasso, you work down at the New York Stock Exchange. What is your take on this? It's not a deal. It's a reported And let's stress, let's stress, this is my take. I in no way, shape, or form speak for the exchange. This is me talking about it the same way we talk about every other stock on air using what I think. I think they're, they're trying. It's obvious they're trying to get into crypto. They're trying to get into crypto. Bitcoin and crypto. And I think this makes a ton of sense. It's an auction market, right? eBay. So wouldn't this seem like if they're trying to get some reg- around some regulatory issues, this might be a way to check a box to get into the crypto business and sort of dip your toe in it and get around a lot of those regulatory issues that might uh, be the roadblock to them with the normal exchange that they yeah, were I, I see. I see there's two potential theories here, I guess, Guy Dami. Number one is they use their expertise at deal-making to help eBay be better at its core business. I want to buy a bicycle faster. They will do that. Or they disassemble eBay's core business and create effectively a, a retail stock market with maybe a place to sell research as these MIFID rules and everything kill analyst research. And you, labor, and you layer that on top of what Steve just said, and you look at a company that's under the stock is underperformed, and you say, you know what, this could be an interesting play for an ICE for sure. I mean, the last quarter wasn't particularly great. Every analyst, well, I shouldn't say every, a lot of analysts have a hold or an underweight on this stock. And then you start to think, maybe this is an undervalued asset that makes sense. It's valuation-wise, it's not crazy, ridiculously expensive. So I think you could probably, it's been a hard stock to own. I think you might be able to own it now on the back of everything you guys just said. I think it's more, I'm I'm guessing also, because I don't know, this idea of them being able to run their marketplace business, which really is the heart of eBay, much better. That they're they're good at those auctions, as you said, that they could be able to run that much better. 
The other thing is interesting. How did this come out today? Why did this come out? It would seem to me that it came out from the ICE side or uh, probably the ICE side or a shareholder who knew of ICE's interest to put pressure on the board. This board has been under pressure for a year and a half from Elliott and today from Starboard and that they haven't been able to turn around the marketplace business. And so this is a good time to really put pressure on the board. I'm skeptical of bad charts that get bailed out with deal news. And this has been a bad chart all year. And in a market that's made new highs after new high after new high, this has been a laggard, as Guy said, for much of the last 18, 24 months. So I think if you're long here, you just got bailed out today, take profits. If you're short, stick with it. It's still a vulnerable picture. Quickly, any, should we avoid Schwab and you know, E-Trade? Because almost, maybe, almost this, maybe this is coming right at them. Well, all the, first of all, you don't bet against Sprecher. Right. The, the, Jeff the ICE, Sprecher, the CEO of ICE. CEO of ICE. He, he's got a long track record of being successful. So I wouldn't bet against him there. But all of these names, when you just started talking about the other names in the group, they all trade off of the yield curve steepening. So keep an eye on that before mm-hmm. you worry about this. But I do not believe that Jeff Sprecher is buying eBay to sell Schwinn. Well, I, I have a feeling. <laughs> I just have a feeling this could be a topic of conversation down on the floor tomorrow. Just a wild guess. All right, coming up. Check out the after-hours action on Disney. The conference call is going on now. The stock is up about a half a percent. Are you looking to make some cush cash mm-hmm. in cannabis? We've got the latest craze in that space that is investors maybe seeing green, but maybe not where you think. And our Kramer cam, Jim, this is a big one politically, talking to the CEO of Centene about what is the help for health care in this political environment. Does Buttigieg's reported victory-ish in Iowa bode well for the Centenes of the world? We'll find out. As always, we are live at the NASDAQ Times Square, and we're back right after this. I was asked earlier on CNBC about whether I felt threatened by competition. There's obviously more competition coming into this space, but there isn't any competition that is like ours, like our product, uh, because of the investments that we've made in those franchises and the quality of the product that we've made over the years and we're continuing to make. That was, of course, Disney CEO Bob Iger just moments ago in the company's conference call referencing Julia Borston's interview with him on this network. Let's talk more about that and Disney's big quarter with longtime media executive Tom Rogers. Welcome back, Tom. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Bob Iger doesn't sound worried about competition. Should he be? Well, he definitely should be worried about competition, but he deserves a victory lap. Uh, one hell of a number. Hats off to Kevin Mayer, who runs the digital streaming operations over there. I think what's impressive more than the numbers is a lot of people were thinking these were overwhelmingly free subs that the ARPU, hats off to your ARPU D2, that is very well done, better than my Wolf and Peacock's clothing last week. Um, I got to say that I, I am impressed with the revenue per sub that they're generating there, the fact that only 20% of the subs, according to Iger, are coming from Verizon free first-year sub base. Uh, that, that's pretty impressive. I think what's even more impressive is after the run of Mandalorian, they were, they were adding 2 million subs on top of that. It shows this is not a one-time-and-over kind of service, that people believe this thing has some stickiness. And maybe... As important as that is the fact that a lot of people were skeptical that you could take a movie franchise and turn it to television. 
because other than MASH, nobody in the television space had really done that very well. And right off the bat, they take a movie franchise and turn it into a TV hit. And they're disrupting the TV space big time and quite intentionally. They're trying to preserve their theatrical window and not so much be disruptors in the movie space. This may give them some momentum toward thinking, hey, maybe we ought to disrupt the movie space a little bit more toward introducing to TV. Tom, let me ask you, we were talking about earlier about spending content, just the, you know, just the massive amounts of spend. How long do you think that can go on before we need to see some return on that? Well, I think inherent is that is what they've announced by way of spend is going to be what they really spend. Today they announced the launch of Hulu International. That is going to be a big additional cash drain for a while. I think what is not so impressive, and I think this will involve more cash also, is that Hulu didn't seem to benefit by the full bundling effect of the Disney bundle that ESPN Plus doubled its subs on. It looked like the growth of Hulu, which not only has the benefit of the Hulu, of the Disney Plus bundle, but the Hulu Live bundle, their skinny bundle of many channels that they package Hulu in with, not to mention a reduction in price on the ad version of Hulu. All that working together didn't seem that impressive in terms of Hulu's growth. And they still have all the network television shows. What does that say to me, Karen, answer to your question? They're going to have to spend more on original content for Hulu, particularly international. And so I don't think the original guidance they gave us on when they come out of this from a cash flow positive perspective is clear. Let's just do the math for the Disney investor. I'll put you on the spot, Tom, because I know you can handle it. So five years ago, you just basically you paid your 100 bucks, 150 a month in cable, and Disney took their chunk through ESPN and ABC and whatever else they got paid for. Now that the way things are going, do you believe that at the end of the day, at the end of the month, Disney will collect overall more money from viewers with a combo of cable, Disney Plus, Hulu, ESPN Plus, than they were in the old model? That is the ultimate question. And I think the market is betting that, yes, the growth of streaming is going to outpace the decline of the legacy business. I think we are going to have a reckoning day sometime in the next two years where the fall off in the legacy business surprises the market greatly. You know, keep in mind that going back seven or eight years to where we are today, primetime television has lost 50 percent of its demographic ratings. Children's television in the last eight years has lost 70% of its ratings, something Disney really looks at. ESPN, the most surprising thing there is that the cable and broadcast world have overcome their ratings decline by pushing up rates and holding advertising revenue pretty stable to growing. Mm-hmm. What happened with ESPN, even though football ratings were incredibly strong, is it looked like they had a decline in ad revenue. That is the beginning of what is going to be a very starry story. We already seen mm-hmm. cord cutting coming out of the year over 5%, 5 million subs lost just in the year. What does ESPN look like at 65 million subs, at 60 million subs, at seven or eight bucks a month times what was 110 million subs at its peak, down yep. by 50 million subs? You're not going to get that back over the kind of revenue we're so far seeing now. That isn't to say that the multiple that you should apply to streaming versus the multiple on the legacy business isn't one where you overcome some of that. 
But there's going to be a reckoning day on that, and it, that, that, that's why the pace of growth on the streaming is so important. It is, and, and something they touched on in that interview as well. Tom Rogers, great stuff. Really important topic for a lot of reasons, by the way, here and outside. Tom, thank you very much. Thanks for having right me. Right up next, are you looking to make some fast money in cannabis? Jane Wells breaking down the latest way that investors are seeing green. Jane. Uh, Brian, I'm at the Mission Dispensary in Chicago holding a very rare thing in Illinois right now because of tight supplies. A full ounce of flour, $350, over $400 after taxes. But what you know is more expensive, a $50 million cannabis license in Florida on the secondary market. What is craziest in the world of cannabis when we come back? All right, welcome back. As more states embrace the cannabis craze, a grab for licenses has created a whole different market. Illinois was the latest state to legalize marijuana, so of course, that's where we find Jane Wells to break it all down. Jane. Hey, Brian, applying for a license is never a sure thing, so some investors are willing to pay a premium to acquire an existing license. The cannabis resale market is growing as many in this business face a cash crunch. Are people... License flipping? Absolutely. Avis Babolian often acts as a broker, saying cannabis licenses can run from a few thousand bucks to tens of millions on the resale market, depending on the state. One example, he helped a group of investors spend 400 grand to buy some on the secondary market. On that three, four hundred thousand, when it was all said and done, they flipped it. They probably cashed out about thirteen, fourteen million in cash and the rest stock options. Their stock options aren't really worth much today, but. I believe our Florida license uh, net of cash, which was on the balance sheet, we paid you know, $40, 43000000 million. Former Wall Streeter Hadley Ford is now CEO of Ianthus, which has bought licenses in at least four states on the resale market. Florida and New York are highly prized because licenses are rare. And in the case of Florida, Ianthus took over a firm which already did the heavy lifting. And I think at that point they had invested somewhere between 15 to $20 million into the business. So it's not as if we just bought a piece of paper. That was really for a going concern. The license was just uh, part of the, uh, the operation. Now, Ianthus, like all the publicly traded companies, has had a rough year. Medman, CEO, resigned last week, so you can expect more license sales, maybe. Uh, Bobolian says technically these licenses are not transferable, but you can get a workaround, like if it's in the name of an entity instead of a person, and... The entity changes owners, so you still might have to go through a background check. He likes retail licenses because he says they're hard to get. He would avoid lab licenses because often if you buy a lab, you are not allowed to be in any other part of the business. And guys, states are taking note. Nevada has put a moratorium on license transfers for now. Back to you. All right, Jane Wells in Chicago. Interest like the taxi medallions there, guy. Jane, thank you very much. All right, time now for your final trades. Steve Grasso, kick it off for us. This is one name I've been long, Shake Shack. And look at that $70 price uh, range right there. It's been the resistance level. I think it's going back to 72 Shake Shack. Chris? We continue to like GE. We like it to 15 The street is still too bearish. Get long. Simon Property Group. Maybe buying Taubman, but they don't need them. Still like it. Brian, did you see the CMG comps? They weren't red hot they were ready they were white hot cmg my friend going higher chipotle sure thank you for watching fast money mad with jim starts right now 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.